Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I am here as always with Father Chuck. He's snapping. Three times. I'm, trying to, I'm just snapping and just seeing what happens, right? Like that's, maybe that's, maybe maybe I have maybe I have the infinity stones and I and, and no one knows it, and I'm just like dropping people. <laughs> You're pretty much Or or considering that it has the power of the entire universe behind it, maybe Abraham Lincoln's back. Nikola Tesla's back. Uh, Gandhi's back. You know what uh, I heard? What? Teddy um, Roosevelt, president. I, I heard that, according to the Russos, um, somebody asked them, were dogs included? Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the beings that were dis- made disappeared, and they said yes. Yep. Just in case you're wondering how much of a monster Thanos was. Well, Part of that genocide I... was dogs. When I heard that, part of me wondered if, like, the only acknowledgement they would give to the snap in Ant-Man is, like, if an ant he was riding just, like, got dusted, <laughs> um, which been kind of funny. That's true. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the um, – yeah, so we're, 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 we're talking Thanos. We're talking about Thanos. Before we start with that, Chuck, I just want, I want to take a few minutes. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you, how are you? I'm well. Are you well? Are you are you good? I think so. Yeah. Good. That's good. How 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 is? How, uh, I, I don't know if you're going anywhere with this, but since we're we're asking personal questions, I want to ask how your yellow jacket sting is going. Oh my god, it's it's so much better now. You can kind of see it. I got stung. I got stung by a yellow jacket yellow jacket wasp the other day. Uh, while I was chasing my grandmother's dog, a chewini named Chanel. Uh, this just makes the story that much better. <laughs> Hold on a second. Are you? Am I coming in? Yeah, I hear you. I don't. You're not moving on the screen, but your audio is working fine. Okay, there we go. Uh, and I usually coax her to come toward me with her ball because she's a tennis ball addict. Um, and I was holding the ball and I held it up to throw it toward her, and there was a yellow jacket on my hand. And, I, and I, 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 as soon as I saw it, it stung the hell out of me on my hand. And, Chuck, I can't tell you what that felt like. Like, that, the most excruciating pain, <laughs> this stupid little insect with this, put, who put this little itty-bitty dot on my hand. It felt like someone smashed my hand with a hammer. Yeah, I, 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 the only thing I've ever been stung by, like bug that's ever stung me, is a bee. Like I've been stung by bees. I've never been stung by a bee. Been and, stung by fire ants, and they've left scars, which okay. is a lesson I learned last year. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I, my, 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 my sting was I was on a road trip uh, to Colorado, and I was getting gas in like eastern Kansas, I think it was, might have been Missouri. Anyway, um, we were getting gas, and while my travel partner was getting gas, um, I, or I guess while I was pumping the gas, I went to grab um, the uh, squeegee to wash the windshield off with. Yeah. And apparently, bees had made a nest, like up under where the Ugh. where they, they they keep the squeegee the handle. So when I grabbed the handle, I grabbed a bee, okay. and and it it stung me like on the thumb. 
and I had never been stung before, so I I was freaked out that like because I I wasn't for sure if I was allergic or not. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's always the fear. I was in my twenties, and here I am, like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, so I did the thing where like I grabbed a tea bag and like a thing of ice and like stuck it on my thumb yeah. to like draw the poison out, and that worked all right. But what was just as I decided, and not to interrupt your story, it did give me a, an interesting like uh, like. It was like it made me realize that, like, getting a tattoo and getting stung by a bee were very similar feelings. Really? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there's that. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, yellow jacket. Yeah, and it was the weirdest feeling in the world because, like, I could feel the because wasps, are, especially yellow jackets, are, are venomous. Mm-hmm. I could feel the venom in my hand, and it it was not feeling good <laughs> like it felt like i i could like it, it it stung me on the open my, my open palm basically just below my finger but i could feel the pain in my knuckles like i it felt like i had punched a wall yeah because i was like that's like that's like the adrenaline and like everything like yeah like kind of all yeah i um and then it, it just it's, I mean, it's, it's it stayed that way for like hours and the next day, my hand wasn't hurting, but it was, like, kind of stiff. And I was, like, afraid I, I was, like, going to be, like, deformed or something. Yeah, the closest thing I have to that was I got stung by a very little um, man of war once. And it, ah, hit me in the bi- okay. it hit me in the bicep while I was surfing. And it, like, tensed up um, my shoulder muscle, my bicep, and my pectoral oh, muscles. And, like, boy. I could feel it in my lymph nodes near, like, my armpit. Oh, my God. And, and it was on my left-hand side, so it was, like, near my heart. I freaked out for a little bit. <laughs> um, but the um, – but, yeah, so, like, that feeling of, like, it, it stings you one place, but you feel it in others. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. Um, and they're, like – you know, they're using – I like this is where our podcast is going. Uh, <laughs> they're actually using, like, bee sting venom and, like – I don't know about wasping venom, but I know they're using bee sting venom. Um, they've been using – they've been ex- exploring that as a arthritis remedy. Oh, really? Yeah, because, of, like you said, like, you felt it in your knuckles. So, like, the way the white blood cells and stuff, mm-hmm. like, go to, like, combat it, like, they find that it, it reduces the inflammation of, of arthritis. Yeah. Well, it, it sucked. It really ruined my night. Uh I don't, I don't, I don't recommend being stung by a wasp, but it's so weird because like our our whole place, I I live on the country. There's always wasps around us. And like, I've been going to that house since I was a little kid, never stung by a wasp to the point where like, I really took wasps for granted. Like every time I, 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 I'm not afraid of wasps because of how many, how many times I've been around them growing up. They've never stung me. If, if anyone flew by my, I mean, if one like flies by my head, yeah, I'm like, oh, holy crap. Um, but like, I've always just like walked through wasps <laughs> and now I'm like, Oh God, they actually do sting you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's that. Um, I don't know how, how I, well, we're talking about my, my wasp sting, but I, I brought up the a, a question asking how you're doing because I was, uh, I've been doing a deep dive lately into, um, uh, the sort of, I guess you could say the, the mental care of content creators. Okay. Uh, I've been watching some YouTube videos and reading some articles about like things like parasocial relationships and how they affect people who make like podcasts and YouTube videos and things like that. And also uh, things like emotional labor. Hmm. Which I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Emotional labor is basically like 
you know, when we do this podcast, or at least when I do it, I kind of have to like, I kind of always have to be like in a good mood, you know? Yeah. Like I you, mean, have to, you have to kind of put on like a persona a little bit, not like a, like you're a different person, but like you have to be in a mood. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, as a, as a, as a, as a priest, I, I know exactly what that is. Cause yeah. like every Sunday you kind of have to do that. Right. So like, I just, I, apparently emotional labor is like a big thing amongst like YouTubers because, you know, if you, I don't know if you've watched like actual YouTubers, like the ones with like, like millions of views, where mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, super positive, super excited. Remember to smash that like button guys. Yeah. Subscribe and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they, they're like, hurting themselves emotionally because of it because they're doing so, so all this you know it's called emotional labor and it's taxing yeah so and you know they have to have this really constant output in order to keep well, those views up and stuff and well and i would imagine i would imagine that a fair amount uh, a fair number of of internet content creators are probably somewhat introverted um yeah, probably and um and so they they are they're playing a character of right. a, of, a, of a of a type right i mean like not to say that they're fake or anything but they are putting a certain persona on to do this mm-hmm. and you know something they probably couldn't they probably wouldn't be able to necessarily do like on a stage maybe right but they can do it like in their bedroom um and yeah no i totally get that and uh, you know and i and i think about i wonder how it connects with just the general psychological stuff that we're experiencing in our world as a result of just social media Anyway, that's part of it, too. I mean, they're, like, they're... I know that like I know that I've had to pretty much walk away from Twitter because yeah. even I mean, I still have my account. And every now and then, like, I, I pretty much just keep Twitter around because if there's some kind of breaking news story, like I'm going to get a better I'm going to get a sense of the most like recent, like the most you know current things that are going on with it. I mean, obviously some of it will be half baked, but whatever. But so like every now and then I'll do these little journeys into Twitter and I'm reminded why I don't use that platform anymore because <laughs> I do, I find it, I find it incredibly emotionally taxing and Facebook even gets that way sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talked about this on the podcast in the past when I pretty much walked away from social media, except for Instagram for a while. Right. And, um, um, and it's weird. Like it's weird to me that the internet is, so such an emotionally taxing place. Oh, I know. When it it shouldn't be. Yeah, it shouldn't, and and that's like, I I, I still think social media is still a big reason for that, and I think also even like, kind of like in a golden age of content creation, which is you know bringing in that emotional labor and also creating parasocial relationships on the other side amongst audiences who like, you know, think that the person making a video is their friend. Right. The person's never met them before in their lives. Right. And that's also kind of creating sort of an emotional taxing thing for the audience. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's intimate, right? Like if you're, if you're going to see, like, let's say, let's like talk about Rob Bell, since we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, you know, if you go to Largo and you see Rob Bell at Largo, or if you see him on tour at like everything is spiritual or the, the or like the Holy, the, the Holy shift tour and those things that he does, like you experience him that way. And you're like, okay, like I'm in a room of like a hundred, you know, of several hundred people listening to this guy talk. And he's giving a presentation and you, you know, there's like a disconnect, right? You understand that he's talking to an audience of people because you can see that audience. You can turn left and right and see them. Whereas if you're listening to the Robcast, it sounds like he's talking directly to you. 
right, because yeah. you're alone in your car. Or like if you're watching something on, on, on video, you get this, especially like, you know, they're looking into the camera because they're talking to you and there's that, that piece. Like I, I, I can see that. And I, and I can imagine that that's, that's really tough. And like, I mean, and, and again, you know, these are people who, because YouTube has become so popular, especially with younger people, like, you know, like the middle schoolers that I work with at, mm-hmm. at, at my school are just like, like there are some YouTube like people, they are like, I mean, they obsess over. Oh, I know. Like, I, 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 it's, I've been like really fascinated by fascinated and a little scared to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> of the and things like, I've been reading about lately. But like actors, YouTubers. right? Like there's a certain degree of when you're acting and you go to, and you go to school for acting, you know, that you, you sort of, you sort of segue into that kind of world. You, you learn how, you know, you learn from other actors what, you know, oh, fans can be crazy or like intense, you know, you're sort of prepared for it. But like so many YouTube people, like they just start putting videos out and then one day they're famous and they weren't necessarily like preparing for that. Right. And, you know, mentally, emotionally, any of that. So that's just kind of a, that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing to watch. I mean, cause you know, I, you know, I don't know what, what fandoms were like, you know, prior to the, you know, to the extent, I mean, I mean we, prior to like Star Trek, Star Trek was like one of the first, like, nuts fandoms right yeah, yeah. Where, and there's and, beatles um, mania of course like yeah i guess it's true and elvis people wanting like bottles of his sweat and stuff <laughs> yeah anyway but yeah so like i don't know it's uh it is a uh, it is an interesting thing so i'm i'm, I'm kind yeah. of fascinated by it. that could be a whole episode actually do you think anyone has a parasocial relationship with us i don't know <laughs> I mean, at this point, like, if you were to come forward to be like, "Hey, I have this parasocial relationship with you," and you have to be friends, like, we'll be like, "Well, do you want to be friends?" <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we'll, we'll take it. Um, we will happily accept you as our, or take it to another stream. We'll happily accept you as our first stalker. We can like make that to like a thing. Uh, no, please don't stalk us. Um, yeah, but uh, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't think we do. I, to be honest, I mean, I don't know if we do or not. It, it, doesn't really matter. It's just kind of getting. I, hope we, I, I mean, hope we some don't. of the people. I do know that some of the people. Who, uh, one of the consistent things that I hear about this podcast with people who listen to it regularly, is that they tend to sort of like argue with us while they're in the car listening to us. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's really funny. Um, and that like there's yeah they they tend to like want to like that they, they they that people gravitate to the idea of being you know privy to a conversation, but then frustrated that they're actually not part of the conversation. Yeah. Because there's so many things they want to say, and so maybe maybe as we talk about our Patreon and other things that we want to do with this podcast in the coming you know in the in the in the not too distant future, maybe there's a way to like leverage that, and maybe. like sort of find a way to create like a seat at the table for those people who listen and are probably wrong and are probably wrong. Speaking of people who are wrong, people who don't like Avengers infinity war. Oh, Oh, let's get into it. Chuck. Yeah, let's get it. Okay. So we're gonna talk about Thanos today. Um, I, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about Thanos because you know, Avengers infinity war was a big hit earlier in the year. We already talked about that. The movie when it came out, uh, it's coming out on blue. It just came out on Blu-ray like what last month or something. Yeah. So it's kind of like back in the public consciousness again, and, I, and I'm kind of seeing some things, articles, YouTube videos, podcasts, and the like, of people sort of reevaluating um, the character of Thanos. And. Um, you know, so I want to just kind of take this episode to talk about the character 
and um, it was supposed to be sort of like you know m more of us, <laughs> but it's <laughs> right, just going to be me and Chuck. Four of us on the episode, but yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask. Half of our, pod half of our podcast got snaptured, and so we're, yeah. who, we're we're here. Who's left? They're all in the soul stone right now. Uh, so let me ask. I want to start. Let me ask you, Chuck. Or, oh, this is how I want to start it. I'm going to ask. Uh, we're going to talk about Thanos as a character, and also as, as sort of like uh, from the perspective of like if he worked. Okay. From like a dr dramatic perspective. Sure. Uh, and you know, and I think this is a good. The reason why I think this is a great topic is because we we always talk about the sort of responsibility of creators who make like villains and stuff and then the fans who like identify the villains <clears throat> joker <clears throat> right. uh, the th things like that so i want to ask you chuck in um one of the in screenwriting 101 in order for your character to be a, a protagonist to be defined as a protagonist the audience has to empathize with that character like there's no way around it like right. every main character, every protagonist in every movie, there's always a degree of empathy. Uh, otherwise, it's like, well, why are you even watching it? Right. Now, not sympathy. Some people get this, get this mixed up. Not that you would get that mixed up. I know you wouldn't, Chuck. Right. Uh, but empathy. Do you think, and, here's, and, and, and I'm, I'm asking this because the Russos have even said themselves that Thanos is a protagonist in this movie. Do you think that Thanos is an empathetic character? Um, in the sense that I'm going to, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Because in, in, in the sense of, I understand his motivations, mm -hmm. I can, um, and so like, I, yeah, I understand his, emo I understand his emotions and his motivations right. and, um, not saying that I would do the same things that he would do given the same circumstances. Right. But I think they did a really good job of creating a character with whom I can identify, yeah, their, their emotions and motivations and can see where they're coming from rather than just like, oh, they're bad for bad sake. And I hope I'm not going to get ahead of you, but I think that that fact is what makes him such a dangerous villain. That he's not bad for bad sake? No, that I can empathize with him. Okay, interesting. Um, what, are, what do you think are some empathetic traits about Thanos? Um, well, uh, the, the first that comes, off, comes to mind, of course, is his stated, and I'm going to be very care careful there. I noticed I say stated. Yeah. His stated motivation of balancing, of, of finding balance in the universe. Mm -hmm. um, him saying that, you know, that the universe is finite, resources are running out. Um, or there's only, well, maybe that are running out, but there are a finite amount. There's a finite number of resources. And so basically him using the power that he's granted to, to sort of dispassionately, um, end half of all life in the universe as a way to sort of buy more time for the universe is like an idea that anyone who looks at, I would think anyone who looks at, like, well, in the state of Florida right now, one of the things that we, we that we we're dealing with is pollution of our waterways. You know, you can go online and you can see videos of dead manatees with their baby calves, like right. 
still like like still like suckling on them and like trying to be with their mothers who are dead because of red tide algae blooms. You can see pictures of beaches covered in dead fish. You can see images from a few years ago when the Indian River Lagoon got polluted and dolphins were just like washing up on shore dead. Um, and and um, and you can say like yeah something's not right here and we've got to figure something out and. You know, and maybe even some dark part of your head entertains that kind of Malthusian way of thinking, which uh, just for our listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, Thomas Malthus was a philosopher who was sort of famous for, um, and I don't know if it, I don't know his work well enough to say whether or not he actually believed this the way that the popular culture has sort of interpreted it. But um, he basically felt that, um, that, he, that the, that because the inner because there are a limited number of resources in the world, the best thing that can happen is for um, humans and others to eventually like run their course, and that like at some point like that's what's going to happen. And um, and then there are some who like take his ideas to a far extreme and say that like you know we need to control population, we need to yeah. um, like that. That's what you see like in China, like the Malthusian philosophies that lead to like the one child policy and things like that in China. Um, as a population control for resource management, that kind of thing. Um, um, so that, so I think some part you entertain that sense of, of, of wanting to see something like, you know, controlling a population. Like I know, like I regularly drive on the roads down here in Florida and, and I'll tell Kane, I'd be like, kind of wish we could just sort of like, like just put like a cap on the number of people that are allowed to live in this state. Like, because we keep building things, and I mean, a lot of it is political management, but like, um, but like we keep building things, but we don't have the infrastructure and the resources to support all of the new condos and all of the building that we're doing in the state in order to get more people. But it's like all, you know, but, you know, people in, in, in Tallahassee and other places are just, they see the dollar signs. And so Not they to mention the, the inevitable crisis that's probably going to happen in Florida with, you know, flooding and stuff. Right, right. And then, and yeah, and then, and then let's get into the whole like climate change piece, right? Of like, you know, maybe you wouldn't want to snap your fingers to get rid of all, half of all life on earth, but maybe you'd want to snap your fingers to get rid of like half of all cars or, or half of all cows or something. Cause cows actually are the biggest producers of, of greenhouse gases on the planet. Wait, far superior, far, far more than, than, than cars, to be honest. Oh, no. Um, it's true. I like cows. Th- that's why everyone should eat crickets. Um, but yeah, yes. so so I think that's 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 an empathetic quality of him. The other uh, big one, and I think the one that people have seized on in pop culture in a lot of ways, um, is Thanos's relationship with Gamora, hmm. um, and his sense of loving her. I mean, as a father, like I can understand love of a daughter, mm-hmm. um, even though I don't have daughters. But you know what I mean, um, love of a child. Um, but again. I'm going to be careful here and say stated purpose, stated (laughs) motions, um, because I think there's a really interesting conversation around whether or not like whether or not what Thanos feels is actually love. And and that's I don't know if I'm getting ahead of by stating my opinion on this at this at at this point in time. But like I. I think you're right. There is a difference between what he states and what he's actually feeling. But I feel like, you know, the fact that he kills her and then he does get the soul stone, it's like the universe is telling him he's right. Well, let me ask you this. Isn't, is, is there such a thing called the heart stone? Heart I don't remember stone. all the stones. I, is believe, there a... that's, I believe that's uh, Captain Planet. Uh, 
I, I, that's the <laughs> I know. But no, I'm just trying Mati. to remember. Your, what are the what are the what are the infinity stones? Uh, the, there's the time, time stone, stone, the soul stone, soul stone, reality, s- reality stone, space stone, space stone, um, power stone. Okay. And uh, what am I missing? Soul, space, time. What am I missing? There's one more, right? (laughs) Yeah, because there's there's one for each finger and then one for the center of the gauntlet. Um, Soul, space, time, um, power. I don't... Hold on, I'm looking it up. And while you're doing that, because the reason I'm asking is, is there one that sort of... Other, I mean, I, I don't know if the soul stone's one that does this, but is there one that sort of governs emotions? Uh, or that, I don't... Okay, soul like, stone. Can the mind stone, can the mind stone do that? Soul oh, did we, did we forget the mind stone? Soul stone, reality stone, space stone, mind stone, time stone, power stone. Yeah, it's a mind stone we were forgetting about, yeah. Okay, because the mind... Okay, so here, here's why I'm bringing this up. Because the mind stone in... This is where we're going to get into some, some fan, fan theory. Okay, nerd theory. From here. Um... Is um, uh, did you say nerd picking? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but the Mind Stone is shown in uh, the first Avengers movie as being something that can sort of manipulate. They can sort of manipulate um, emotions. I don't right? remember at all what what that what that does. I, I have no idea. So you're because um, Loki uses it for those purposes, like to manipulate people to control them and other things. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but he sort of is able to like like pervert. Some of their because um, the way that Alexander Skarsgård's character, like he he becomes so entranced with like the discovery of the unknown that he basically exploits like this latent emotional thing. Anyway, the point I'm making is is it possible that Thanos doesn't actually feel love, but is using the mind gym as a way to give an approximation of love in order to game the system to get a hold of the sun's soul stone, in order to make the, like he still has to kill Gamora because he has sacrificed sacrifice what he loves, but is he able to sort of like fake love in that moment? In order, I mean, I, that, that, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's not really made made clear in, in, in on, yeah. on the screen. You know, I understand it's, it's that. Not a right because that's. I just as just as something we'll probably get to a little bit more. Yeah. One of the things that irritates me about people's criticism of Thanos mm-hmm. in this movie is they seem to forget that there's a whole other movie coming and that not everything is revealed. And I don't and, and my personal feeling is that everything Thanos says is a lie mm-hmm. um, and that he doesn't actually care about the universe, that I actually do think he's he is one who is courting death and that this is a this is his sort of stated thing of nobility, not to tip his hand, but that he's actually like, yeah, still just trying to impress death. And I, I, I think I, it's going to be hella, by the way. Uh, and <laughs> I wish and I can I can I could see that, Chuck, and I, I can agree with that. Would you like to know my opinion real quick? Sure. I don't think he should have been a protagonist. Okay. I think, I think it's extremely tricky to take someone like a Thanos, a supervillain, or even just like a bad person in general, and to, make, to center the not, – he's not necessarily centered, but he is a protagonist. To, to make them a protagonist and to give them an arc that does not end in them like changing – or becoming a better person. Um, that is extremely tricky and only worked. And, 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 and in my opinion, I've only seen it work in one movie, and that's American Psycho. 
um, because that's more about like reality and perception and the end of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's, I think that's tricky. And I think that's something for, I guess I could kind of commend them for like wanting to attempt it because that is a pretty cool idea and it is a feat that has been accomplished by very few filmmakers. But the thing about Marvel is that it's supposed to be, there's supposed to be movies for everybody of all ages. And I, and I think when you center a villain and the arc is not like, oh, I've, I've done a terrible thing. I just think that's a little, I don't know. I think, I think it's too much candy for the filmmakers and for some of us. And, and I, and I think it hmm. maybe it just, it just didn't, to me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do well. Yeah. I mean, a, from a story point of view. And, and I know that like, we're supposed to anticipate another movie where like oh, things are going to be explained. And like, that's kind of how Marvel works. Um, and you know, we have to like kind of meet Marvel halfway on that point because they're not really, they, they don't really give a crap about the, those sort of rules of cinema where it's like, you know, you take into account previous films and all that kind of stuff and everything. It's like, not everything is totally standalone, but at the same time, the movie as its own experience, I just think it was a mistake to make him a protagonist. And I think that there's a reason why villains aren't protagonists and it's because there is an, 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 sometimes an ambiguity, ambiguity behind their motivations. And you kind of find out as the character is finding out and stuff. And, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think a con- somewhat of a contrast to this is Kylo Ren in last Jedi. Right. Um, who's a character that you see the conflict, you, you can empathize with the conflict that's going on within him that, you know, he's, he, he's, he, he, he kind of goes to this place, even though he's killed his dad, you get the sense that he's on that teetering edge of like making that move to redemption. And then when you have that, um, uh, the incredible lightsaber fight scene in this throne room and you're like, you have that moment, you're like, yes, like he's becoming a hero and he's going to, we're going to start seeing his arc of redemption and you're so on board with it. And then he's just like. And then yeah, he, no, ga- actually, he gaslights huh? Ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, yeah, actually, I'm not going to redeem myself. Like, this was all a means to an end for me to just double down on being the villain. Yeah. And that sense of, like, disappointment as an audience member. Right. To say, like, oh, he's not going to be redeemed. Like, right. this it, is going to be like a Darth Vader arc. This is going to be... Oh, that movie's so good, Chuck. I, I love it because that, that, that moment, I was pumped. I was like, oh... Oh, they're fighting yeah. together, and then like 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 half an hour later, he's like ordering every, the entire fleet to like kill Luke Skywalker with all of their guns. Yeah, you know, like you're like, oh, I was rooting for this guy earlier. <laughs> yeah, and he just he just doubles down as like a just like a skis. Yeah, um, and I think like that's that kind of does a little better job of like what you're talking about here is where like the villain, like you have this moment where you can sort of like follow along with them. But then you see, like, oh, no, this is really bad. Yeah, you, uh, you kind of clearly see that, that he's wrong. Like, even though he has that point of view of, like, Luke tried to kill me, Luke is like, no, I didn't. And, like, you see his point of view, and you're like, oh, well, I, I see now. He's just he's, he's wrong. He's just flat out wrong. Yeah. I mean, I will say, getting back to Thanos, uh, in, 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 in the Internet um, discussions I've seen, I've seen how a lot of people, and, they, and this is where I get frustrated, is they criticize Thanos because they're like, well, he was just an idiot for thinking, like, Killing half the universe was his only option. Well, like, I mean, he's got all this power. But I'm like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, guys, 
for the love of God. Like, I, 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 get, I get the frustration because that is the nerd picking I'm talking about that I hate about like modern day like discussion about movies and stuff. Yeah, but or, it's like, but even okay, taking aside from the fact that we're gonna like learn more in another movie, yeah, is that I think on screen you get enough information of the character that in a that he's convinced himself what he's doing is noble, mm-hmm. the same way that like Hitler convinced himself that he what he was doing was noble. That like right. it's 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 not a matter of like like that like that's the weird thing that there are people who like want him to be a good guy and they're like. No, man, like he could have used this power to like increase the number of resources or he could have expanded the universe or he could have, you know, done whatever. It's like, but that's 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 what you're the point you're missing is that he's the villain and that all he can see is he only he only sees in the term in, in, in terms of like destruction and death. And and so like that's what makes him villainous to me. And, and like I said, like it makes him an effective villain is that like I can empathize with his motivations and his emotions and like, and it gets a little scary to think about. Well, how far is how, like how far of a leap is it from me to him? Um, and and like and and to sort of reflect on, oh, like if I had that power, would I do anything different? Right. Well, you know, and it's it's really, he really is sort of like, just sort of the embodiment of like an abusive father. Yes. And it's very much, I mean, it's it's very much stated in how he treats, you know, Gamora and how he treats Nebula <clears throat> by torturing Nebula and, um, and you know, murdering Gamora because he loves her. Like, you know, even Gamora says, this is not love. Right. Well, and like, and, you know, there's a scene where when he uses the reality stone and she kills him using the knife that he gave her and she breaks down weeping. And then he reveals that the whole thing was a ruse and he was sort of like after all these years or whatever. And, and like, and to me, what I, what I like about that scene is, is what you just said is that the movie does a pretty interesting thing. I think with sort of walking through the complicated emotions that children experience from abusive parents, because there's, there's both this sort of love admiration while also just hatred um, that comes with it. And that like, cause I think just, just to take it to another place, like I think a lot of us look, look, we look on abusive relationships, whether it's parent, spouse, partner, whatever, for those of us on the outside looking, looking in, we're like, why don't you just leave? Like, right. why don't you just get out of that? Yeah. But you know, it's like, you know, we, we look at it in such black and white terms, but when you're in those relationships, you, you you run through a whole range like there's I mean you know like you there's there are elements of 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 it that you you love these people and you know because some, some in some ways you're predisposed to have to love them because of your parents or you know you 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 were you know you were romantically attracted to them to begin with and those qualities are still there even though there's these other monstrous pieces there and so it's not so black and white when you're in it and and so I think that that's a that's maybe a helpful thing to have you know, committed to film so that, you know, for those of us who, who are on the outside can think back to like, Oh, well, that's a, this is a cinematic relationship that kind of explains what's going on with people that are going through this in real life. And I can't be so quick to say it's black or white, that there's a lot of complicated, there's a lot of complicated stuff in there. I'm going to introduce an opinion to you and I feel like it's going to make you mad. (laughs) Make me mad. Uh, Do you know who Maggie Mae Fish is? No. She uh, used to write for Cracked. Okay. Uh, But she has a YouTube channel. She does her own. Um, she was. She did this whole video essay on uh, fathers in film, 
mm-hmm. and how they're talking about like good ones and bad ones. And she talked about Thanos for a minute. And she said that from her point of view, she felt that showing Thanos say all these things that, you know, he loves Gamora and that, you know, you have to sacrifice what you love in order to get, you know, achieve his goal. And him actually going through with it, saying, I love Gamora, I'm killing Gamora because I love her. And the universe does reward him by giving him the soul stone. So that means, like, yeah, he was right, he did love her. Um, She felt that that might be irresponsible because there could be children with abusive family members watching the movie together and kind of seeing that, like, you know, oh, he is my, my... whoever's taking care of me who's abusive is doing it because they love me, <laughs> you know? And that might be like kind of mm-hmm. confirming the sort of toxic beliefs that those same members are instilling in their children. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I get that. And I, you know, I, and even interestingly enough, I could see where people just to take it to like a Christian theology piece. There's a lot of people who have, um, some really, really strong opinions about doctrines of the atonement in Christian theology that it's effectively God sacrificing his own child for for really? this greater cause. And so um, and so I could see where, like, they could basically point to Thanos, who's, you know, is a god, right, the mad god, mm-hmm. um, that they could they could look at him as sort of doing the same thing, sacrificing his child. Um, you know, she bears the punishment so that he can gain something. Right. Um, effectively would gain the souls of the universe or whatever. But, um, and I could go on and on about why, why I think that's a problematic simplification of a very complicated theological thing. But, um, no, I think you're right though. I think that, I think that that's a, that's a fair, it's a fair point point, and it's something to that, you know, for, for something to think about in terms of responsibility. And of course, I think that's why it will be interesting to see where they go with it in the next movie. Right. Um, but what I hear in all of this, and this is something I wanted to bring up as we talked about this, and that raises the question that um, that we, we that that a house that a house single from the 1990s asked, and that is, what is love? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, what is love, and is love relative, or is love particular and defined? Like, what makes love love? And you know, so like, you know, as Gamora is saying, this is not love. She's right. It's not love. So we have to conclude that there's something else going on. Um, and, you know, is it that, again, we don't know enough on screen, but is it that Thanos has actually known all along that in order to get this stone, this is what he has to do? And so did he, did he, did he in fact kidnap Gamora um, as a child um, and, and kidnap these children to try to to try to lie that he's in love with them in order to game the system to acquire the stone at the appropriate moment. Um, or, or is it, um, is there something else at play? Like the fact that Gamora's soul is inside the soul stone, um, you know, is there, is that, is that indicating that like the stone is actually with her instead of him or something? Mm Um, but yeah, I you know so I mean we don't know because of we don't know all the information, but I do. But the, the, I guess we could talk about it. what is love, JP. What makes love love? Chocolate. That's what. That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
I mean, uh, as a Christian, I'm, you know, I'm, I, as a Christian, you know, there's a language of, we know love by this, that Christ gave himself for, for, for us, you know? Um, and, and so like for Christians, there's this very particular definition of love and that all, all notions of love are informed and, and gain their, and gain their power or whatever from that supreme act of self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to take it to another place, there's a German theologian by the name of, um, of a, I think it's Robert Spayman, who says that we have this tendency to think that like the greatest act of good in the like, in Western theology that the greatest act of good is self-sacrifice. And he says, but the problem with self-sacrifice is that self-sacrifice means that someone has to lose. I give of myself so that you may gain. So someone loses. He said, so in effect, a a form of a form of ethics that is rooted in an idea where everyone gains would be an example of a higher good than self-sacrifice where no one has to lose. So he, he then counters that with the language of a banquet. And he says like, okay, so, you know, there's two, there, there's two ways of feeding a, hung, a hungry person. You can like, you know, go to your house, make them a sandwich and hand it to them. Right. But it's like of my resources, I'm giving something to you and I'm losing right to you. Like I, and I, and I, it's one way exchange. I know nothing about you. I'm just, you know, and, and if I take it to another place, like I can project onto you, your desires and who you are, you know, you see the person on the street corner begging for food or money. You can make all kinds of number of judgments about that person. You can even give them money, give them food. And you're still, up, you're still affirmed in your opinions on that person because, again, it's a one-way exchange. The other way that you can feed a hungry person is to invite them to a banquet. And by inviting them to a banquet, no one loses but everyone gains, right? Because everyone is sharing in a meal. So, like, I'm sharing in a meal that you're also eating. We have an opportunity to actually get to know one another through sharing that meal. Um, and, in fact, like, within Christian theology, that is... So like I said, you know, we, we simply characterize the atonement. So I'm going to get into this and I wasn't planning on it, but like the atonement as this, you know, a parent sacrificing his, you know, punishing his child for the sins of other people or whatever. Um, we can characterize it like that, but that's really not biblical or proper understanding in the Christian tradition, which is that, um, is that Christ one freely offers himself, um, you know, he's not punished by God for this is something he freely offers of himself um, there, but there's also, it's also done in service of the ultimate goal being the invitation to a banquet, as you see in the book of revelation, where everyone comes to this wedding supper of the lamb and everyone shares and the gates of heaven are open to anyone who wants to come in. And so, so Christian, so Christian concepts of good and love are rooted in that language and concept of sharing rather than sacrifice. And, um, you know, I mean, again, it's like, you know, like God says, you know, I desire, you know, I desire forgiveness, not sacrifice or whatever that, that passage is right. There's, um, um, maybe I got that wrong, but anyway, um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing this out because I think it raises some interesting questions for us, particularly here in the West about what is love in this scenario. And I think we think we know what love is, but Thanos demonstrates that, or well, Gamora's protests Thanos demonstrate that a lot of our concept of love might in fact be wrong. Um, now, aside from that, raising questions on whether or not a perverted sense of love is sort of confirmed by the universe in this, in this one instance, or again, if Thanos is somehow gaming the system, right. I think ultimately we have to determine that, that Thanos is gaming a system somehow. Yeah. Um, because I think Gamora is right in that scenario. This isn't love. This is something else. 
Um, anyway, that was a long thing. I don't know where I was going with it, but there it is. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, interesting. Um, where else can I go with this? I'm not really sure. Well, I, maybe maybe it's worth talking a little bit about the number of people who have asked the question of whether or not Thanos was right. That is something interesting. Uh, uh, but, but to be honest, you know, it's weird in my in my travels on the internet. I actually haven't really found anybody. Oh. People have people have been well, like people have been complaining about like, oh, there are so many fanboys out there saying that Thanos is right and it's so horrible. I haven't really found any. Um, maybe people like like randos and like comment section or Twitter, but I didn't find I couldn't find like a like a video essay about right. someone like you know in defense of Thanos you know or or I, I couldn't find a think piece that was in defense of Thanos. There were some that were questioning, like you know, is he right about like you know population uh, and, and resources and stuff, um, and. I mean, they always kind of came to the conclusion of, no, no, he's, he's wrong. <laughs> Genocide is not the answer to that. Um, so I think that's what's interesting. I think there is sort of a kind of a narrative that's a little bit manufactured that people think that Thanos is right. Um, but, I, I mean, I think it's kind of no-brainer that he's wrong, <laughs> you know? Like, um, and I think that most people who say he's right are, are probably just being, you know, trolls or ironic, but at the same time, it is maybe, I, I don't know. I didn't look in 4chan. So for all I know, there's like a right. whole, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go to the, I didn't go to the incels forum. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I would worry that, and I'm going to be very careful in my, in my characterizations here, because I know that we have, we, we, we probably have some diverse po politics of the people listening to this podcast um, but there is, you know, that 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 group of Trump fanboy um, that tends to refer to him as like God Emperor Trump as somebody who's going to like leader. wreck the system, dear leader, that like really kind of scary contingent of people, yeah. um, which they claim is ironic. But eh, it's it, I, I worry. Um, but I could see I could see where there might be some some sympathetic uh, qualities there because of yeah. it being like a. You know, somebody who sort of can just dispassionately break the system for the sake of the greater good. But again, like we won't know without looking at it ourselves. Um, I, I mean, but there there are definitely plenty of people who think that Thanos is hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, glove daddy. Uh. <laughs> Gosh, I can't stand the whole like daddy thing. <laughs> I really just in general like. Yeah, um, oh. you know, I, I'm interested in this because you know. It's it's getting a lot of people are, are reacting. I think for the most part, people have reacted positively about Thanos, and like even people who are critical of it, and and the the essays and stuff and the pieces and stuff that were critical of it still kind of say like, yeah, it was a pretty cool movie actually, um, because Marvel they just know how to do things right sometimes, um, but um, for the most part, I think it's kind of accepted that like it was still a pretty good movie. Thanos is still a pretty cool character. There might have been some moments where it's like, wow, geez, really a Marvel? Like, that's a little bit more DC, don't you think? Um, just things like with him, like, torturing people on screen. And things oh, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it is interesting because, you know, we've there has been sort of this critique towards, like, DC, where they have skewed so dark. And now there's going to be three movies uh, with Joker as a protagonist. 
um, coming out. You yeah. know about that, right? I mean, of course, you know about like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, which, which you know what? I'm keeping my eye on it, okay? Because Joaquin Phoenix is one of my all-time favorite actors, and I have a feeling. You never know. You never know. You never know. Uh, the other ones, not so sure. But I think it's interesting because, like, for the first time, it's, it's almost like Marvel kind of like toyed with being a bit more edgy. And yeah. I feel like that might be some of the whiplash that we're seeing and some of these people seeing who, who have like big problems with it, you know, and that's, that's what I was saying. Like Marvel is, has established itself as we're for everybody. We're for all ages. Kids can see us. Adults can see us, uh, you know, and yeah. And, uh, and infinity war is very much not a kid's movie. I don't think, yeah, I, I, I would not. I mean, I mean that ending. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man, you, know, you get to watch yeah. a little teenager suffer and die and wither away, and you know, uh, Gamora or sorry, Nebula being tortured, and um, it's 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 yeah. I I feel like yeah, that is definitely not for teenagers, but it's also maybe part of it is sort of a response to like everyone saying like Marvel doesn't take any chances. Marvel always plays it safe. Marvel's stakes are never high enough. And so it's like, yeah. okay, well, wait until you get a load of Thanos. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I, I'm just thinking a little bit, too, about Guardians of the Galaxy 2 for a moment. Yeah. And how, like, they depict, um, they depict, um, oh, gosh, give me a moment. Ego? Um, no. Um, Yondo? Yondo. Yondu? Yondo? Yondu. Yondu. Yondu as, like, he's kind of a monster, right? Yeah, yeah He's yeah. clearly abusive, and the, but the movie ends with, like, with Chris Pratt saying, like, I had a pretty cool dad, like, referring to Yondu. Yeah. And, like, you spent your whole life terrified of this guy, thinking he was going to, like, eat you. It is, um, yeah. That's kind of messed up, right? That's a little hand wavy. A little bit, yeah, because he does say, like, you know, I mean, he spends the whole movie saying, like, he threatened to eat me, <laughs> you know, or yeah. he was abusive. And then there's, like, a moment where he's reflecting on his past, and there's that moment where, like, Yondu's teaching him how to shoot a gun, and it's like, oh, is that when he was threatening to eat you? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, even though, but I still, I, there's, there's something to that, though, like, that really sticks to landing, though. You know what I mean? Like, Yondu, in the end, he does sacrifice himself for Peter. And right. he does... That whole movie is him coming to terms with, like, all the horrible things he had done in his past. Like, it opens with him just, like, being ex exiled by the Ravagers because of what he's right. done. And then all of his men being murdered in front of him. So, I mean, I, that, you, you, I, think, that, I think that's valid about Yondu that is it is kind of hand wavy that it's not totally addressed like yeah he was an abusive he wasn't basically an abusive father figure and it is kind of a little bit convenient that now he's a good guy is this uh reminiscing. is this marvel's thing is this marvel things like the joke right now with dc um is because um jeff johns has had carried such a huge um Put a huge shadow, like, like cast a wide, I say a shadow, but cast like a wide net over the the direction of DC's characters, and like pretty much as a result, every character that he touches is like an orphan. Um, <laughs> really? It, yeah, because uh, he he managed to kill off both of uh, uh, Superman's parents early on, so that like 
the uh, Mon Pa can't like they they die before before Clark goes to Metropolis to become a reporter. Oh really? I didn't know that. And um and then of course um he did the whole thing with Barry Allen's mom being killed by the reverse flash. And then yeah, he did the whole thing about Jordan's dad, how Jordan's dad blowing up in an airplane. Like, it's just been like a, it's been a thing that people joke that all the, all the DC characters, like the prominent ones, at least are like orphans. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, and there's Batman. Um, and then, so, but is, is Marvel's thing like the opposite of that? It's just like everybody's parents are abusive. Yeah, I think it is. I, I mean, you know, Cause the, by the, Hulk, right. Didn't they, didn't, didn't they do a whole storyline in the eighties or whatever about like where the Hulk was like molested or something? the 80s i don't know about that <laughs> but I, I, the, the 2003 hulk uh, nick nolte uh, right is like a, a bastard like yeah. he's just like a horrible person yeah <laughs> um and let's see you've got you've got stark's parents who are kind of like his dad is like doesn't know how to show feelings yeah yeah uh, let's see I'm trying to think of what other uh we don't get much about steve rogers right we don't know much about his parents no. Thor Thor has like a weird relationship with his dad. His dad's kind of abusive, right? Because like, yeah, the Thor. Oh, I mean, you, you you find out Odin was like a tyrant, right? At one point. So yeah, and then like what he did to Hela, right? I mean, right. it's mm-hmm. um, yeah. There's that. Then, uh, Spider-Man's parents are dead, <laughs> um, right? Um, he comes from like the most like the closest thing to like a normal family. Well, Tony Stark is sort of like his surrogate dad in that movie, and he's not really nice to him, right? Right, right. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, that is a thing uh, that uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, just horrible parents. Yeah, or, or dead parents. Yeah, but mostly horrible, right? Yeah, I think. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Black and then Pan- they make the a Black movie. Panther's dad. Turned out to be wrong well, about some things too, right? Like he hid, just hid stuff. I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't. I, I yeah. I, I don't think he just he just made mistakes and buried his mistakes. I, I I will say that he, by all accounts, was a good father. Right. But he might have been a bad king. Yeah. And I think that's what Black Panther is sort of all about. Right. Um. But <sighs> Black Panther is so good. Um. It's on Netflix, by the way. I know, and I own it on Blu-ray as well as that, as, Thor, as well as Ragnarok. Right, so you got to get getting that physical media going. Oh, dude, 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 oh, dude, yeah, dude. Man. <laughs> especially after, especially. I mean, it's funny. There was a good thing in the news the other day. This is a complete tangent, but there was a thing in the other in the news the other day where people are discovering that movies they bought off of iTunes are disappearing off their computers. Yeah, I heard about that. And people acting like this is a new thing, like that's been, like that. Do people not re- like understand yeah. how this works? That you're you're just paying for a license to watch it. You're not actually owning the physical media. Like that's one of the reasons why the recording industry wants to push streaming and downloading because they have more control over it and it's cheaper to produce. But they can charge you the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why. Yeah. No. I I I am a physical media person, man. Like, <laughs> especially when it comes to, like movies and music. Um, for the most part. Like if if there's an album that I'm curious about and I'm not, you know. You know, and I, and I don't care. Like, I'll just download it. But, like, you know, if iTunes, I don't do pirating. But, um, or torrenting as they try to church it up these days. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a physical media guy, man. You know, especially, especially when they have the, when they have like ultraviolet and stuff with them, you can watch it on a, on a machine. You know, there's no, there's really no reason not to buy the physical media. Yeah. Ultraviolet sucks, though. It's really bad. It's so yeah. bad. I hate it. Um, uh, so back to Thanos. So of, what, what, what do we want to conclude with, with, with Thanos? Like, what do we want to ultimately say? 
Like I, 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 I've, I want to, oh. like, go ahead. I've got a thing. Yeah, go ahead. I, I've been kind of playing with this in my head um, since we talked about this this episode, in, and that is whether or not they've tried, in some level, to cast Thanos as Noah. Okay. And the reason I say that is because the the end of the end of the movie involves like he, his whole thing is he wants to like he's going to look upon a you know he's going to watch a you know smile at a sunrise, <laughs> a sun rising over a grateful universe, and you see that with him at his vineyard. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the, which is where which is what happens with Noah at the end of the flood, and so is there like a is there are they alluding to like a Noah esque thing where you know, but sort of like a an invert inversion of Noah instead of like rescuing, like a remnant of society. Or I guess what he's rescued in his mind he's rescuing a rainbow on a his rem- love. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't just know. just something I've been wondering if there's if there's like if there's Noah illusions. Um, even though like Noah is just sort of chosen, he's not the active destroyer of worlds, but, um, right. You know, how, how many, how many, uh, how many people are traveling around with Thanos in his little ship? Uh, like, the, like, like whole societies. Or... No, but I mean, what's that? Um, oh, like his little collective is, uh, the, yeah, what, the, what are they the, called? The, um, the black, uh, um, circle, the black, the black circle, black order. Black, black, I, think, I think it's Black Order, actually. I think it's Black, Black Order, Black, yeah, and they have the like Ma. the great, yeah, they have the greatest names. <laughs> yeah, the Ma's my favorite. I like him a lot. Yeah, he's the one that's like rejoice and yeah, he's cool. Um, I'm so, trying to remember, but anyway, I was just wondering if, if there's like a correlation with the number of people that travel with Noah in the Ark. Anyway, I'm just I'm, I'm taking it to an extreme that doesn't need to to be there and be uh, nerd picking. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, to conclude the thing, I, I ultimately, JP, my, my, my takeaway from all of this is that we can't, I don't think we can make a final judgment on the character until the final Avengers film. And is that, and that is, I think, like the big critique within the world of, of, of cinema right now is, is, is that cinematic? Like, is that, we've never had to ask that question or wait or, or do something like that until like the whole shared universe thing started happening, you know, is it valid to be like, well, you, you can't do that in movies. Like you gotta, you should probably resolve that in the movie. But like, I mean, sure. Here's the, let me just talk about this. And I, I know we've talked about in the past, we're doing an episode about criticism and I still think we should do that. Um, because the thing is, it's like, what is cinematic anymore? Like, what, what does that word mean? Like, words change meaning uh, over time, right? Wow. And so do, are, we, are we beholden to an understanding of cinema that was created in the early 20th century? Like, is, do all movies have to be judged by what Orson Welles did with Citizen Kane? Um, do they, you know, to what, what constitutes, like... You know, I know we want to say like, oh, well, a completed story is three acts and an arc and all of this. But, you know, things are changing. I mean, we've we've as we've told our stories as societies, we've told them in different in different ways. I mean, I, I think like um, um, I mean, for instance, there's the. Um, well, I mean, I guess probably the closest thing to this would be the way that the Greeks and the Romans talked about their mythology is that it was always kind of open ended. It wasn't like here's here's how it's going to end. Like this is, you know, this is Zeus's arc. Like nobody had that. Right. There was a, I mean, I guess they sort of knew that eventually it would culminate in some kind of apocalyptic, you know, into the world event or whatever, but 
the stories were always kind of ongoing and being revised and um and you know that was just one way in which that that's one that's just one example of one culture in the way they told their stories and so are we somewhat getting back to that way of doing it but with like colorful people in spandex on screen right but i think there's also a fear that at yeah, they are kind of bending the rules and maybe they are kind of doing their own thing and maybe we can meet them halfway. But then but then you run into the problem of like, but what if they start making all the same mistakes they do with comics, which is like all the big complaints about like, oh, an event every month. And then you have to read like a billion different issues over here between events and like, you know, that whole headache. You know, I mean, you know about all of, all of that. Yeah, but at the same time, I no one's making you do that. Like well, none right. of this is necessary. Okay. Like, but... so like, I mean, I get like in terms of like, you know, finances. You know, if if you if you price yourself out of people being able to experience the thing that you're producing, right? Because you 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 know you have to read like 20 comic books and like I get like I get the that that criticism from an economic standpoint, but from like a cultural standpoint, again, like nobody's forcing you to watch or engage with any of this stuff, and it's like well, maybe it not, becomes a it's... hobby like any other. Well, maybe not, but it does feel a bit, a bit. I don't know. Like you're. I don't. Know, I, I I find it frustrating. You know, I remember I I wanted to read uh, this series called Doom War because you know I'm, I'm a big Doctor Doom fan. Yeah. And um, I I read the event and then like you know it was actually pretty cohesive and pretty cool and then like I got to issue three, and it's like they had fast forward. And there were all these other issues where I said I had to read, and I'm, I'm, like, I'm completely lost. I've lost investment. Yeah. No, I can't really be part of the discussion. I mean, you're right. I, I don't have to read it, but it's kind of a shame because, you know, I would like to. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting we're talking about this right now because I just recently, and I, and I think it would be a cool thing to talk about a little bit more, but I just recently, um, because there was a huge, a pretty decent sale of some comics on DC's um, comic app, um, that's one thing I do digitally is I read comics digitally. Um, and so I picked up crisis on infinite earths, which I'd never read right. before. Mm-hmm. And, um, in that, and for those who don't know, crisis on infinite earths created the event comic. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it was like the, it was the first major crossover of any, of any comic book, um, label, um, in 1986. And the cool thing about crisis is that, it stands alone. Like they make references to other issues and things that are going on. But like when I went to investigate the tie-in issues, I realized the, the tie-in issues are like tangentially tied in. Like the like you maybe get like a little bit more information because like toward the end of toward the end of Crisis, what gets a little frustrating is that Superboy Prime shows up, and you, but there's no like oh here's Superboy Prime like he's just suddenly there. So Superboy Prime shows up and like it's it's. You know, it, it, his real uh, his real showing up is a thing that happens in another issue, um, but it's it's not like crucial to the story because he's not that big a deal in the comic of Crisis on Infinite Earths. He actually doesn't become a bigger deal character until much later, as a result of um, of um, a later maxi series called Infinite Crisis, um, and he become he turns out to be like one of the major villains of the DC universe, and so. Yeah. In retrospect, like it was, I was kind of hoping for like a bigger reveal for him in in in, in Crisis on Infinite Earths, but because it, at the time, like he was just sort of a bit player for the story, like it didn't really matter that much. So anyway, the point of this is that, like, is that I think 
on one hand, I think you're right. And then you're talking about like compromises. Like I think something like crisis and infinite is a good compromise. Like here's this major event. Um, it somewhat assumes that you've read a lot of comics, but it also isn't beholden to the fact that you need to have read everything. Like it works off of you having a passive understanding of all the characters in order for the story to work. Um, and, um, so, so yeah, but like, like I said, my, 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 my criticism to my, my criticism to the criticism, um, of what people are saying about modern, about like this kind of storytelling and how like it's, it's incomplete or it's, it's, or it's an example of poor storytelling or whatever is that, well, you know, things do change. And so we have to, you know, we have to consider that in our, in our, in our criticize, in our, in our discussing and criticizing of things. I mean, for instance, it's one of the reasons why, you know, like Rolling Stone famously back in the day trashed like Black Sabbath and, and, and other bands. It was because they didn't have the frame of reference by which to account for what they were doing because it was something so different, you know, heavily distorted guitars were like at the time considered like a really bad thing. Like that was not, it was not good. And so them doing that was, you know, was like, Oh, this is bad music. Um, but in retrospect, obviously realized that they were, that they were changing a paradigm. And, and so, um, so I so, said, yeah, so I, you know, I think we have to be aware of that when we talk about this stuff, but I also agree with you that, if your entire if your entire thing is is like so like i mean yeah like i'm trying to get back to our thing what we were talking about earlier but like going back into that mindset but that that sense of of like in order to engage with a story you basically have to make it your lifestyle yeah it's like is kind you of know like not desirable like like the tv show lost Right. There, there was no way that you could just like jump in. Right. Like you, if you, if you know, when that show was like eight seasons in, if you hadn't watched it, you had better start from the beginning. Like, there's no other way to watch it. There's no other way to engage with it. Right. And yeah. I, I mean, think like, I, I feel like that's a fear among a lot of people that that movies are going to start going that way, and that Marvel is like what's making it do that. Maybe. I mean, yeah. And that's the other problem is that just because like, it's a frustrating thing about capitalism is that just because, um, one thing is successful does not mean that everybody now needs to suddenly replicate it. Right. Um, and, um, I, um, just as an aside, I think a really great, like a really great example of how to do this stuff well, um, is Rick and Morty. Um, which is a show where every episode, like Dan Harmon has said, every episode is conceived of as a jumping on point. Like you can watch that show from any, any, any moment and you're in and then watching other episodes, it helps you have a deeper relationship with the characters, but you don't necessarily have to watch it in order to know who the character, like what, what's going on. And I think that's right. Cause I mean, the first time that I, the first episode I ever saw of that show was the Meeseeks episode. Right. And that's what, like the third or fourth episode of a season. Yeah. Of the first season. And like I, I jumped in on that show like random like I sort of sort of like oh that that was, looks funny I watched it and then eventually I started kind of putting the pieces together as I watched more and more and I real and I got to get you know and so like my understanding of the characters was enhanced but it wasn't necessary like I could still laugh and enjoy episodes without having to know the depths of of, of everything and so I think like that that to me is what you is probably what you should be doing in this is finding ways to to you know if you want to dig deeper then you get more out of it. 
right. but you don't have to dig deeper. Um, or I guess uh, you know some of J.J. Abrams' stuff does this well. Cloverfield, I think, is a good example. The first Cloverfield movie um, had like this whole range of stuff that was that was sort of tied into it. That if you really wanted to go down the rabbit hole, you could, um, but you didn't need to in order to understand the movie. Um, and in right. fact, the more you knew about that movie, the worse it became <laughs> because yeah. Um, because it actually works really well with the monster being this sort of mysterious thing that just shows up. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So that, that's my that that that's that that for me. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to end. I'm at 10 percent battery on this bad boy. Oh, rock on. <laughs> um, so yeah. So just in conclusion, you know, me personally, I think Thanos is an interesting character. I just don't think he should have been a protagonist. And I think uh, a lot of, I think a lot of things could have been avoided if they had done that. If there was a little bit more mystery and a little more ambiguity behind what he was doing and his plan and stuff. Um, but overall, I still found Infinity War to be a pretty enjoyable movie, yeah. even if they did skew a, maybe a little bit too much, too too edgy. Um, but you know, yeah, you can't you can't you can't expect anyone just to kind of stay stagnant. You know, I think. After a while, someone's going to try to do something new and either strike out or, or you hit a home run. Right. And, uh, I think they did pretty well. Yeah, they did all so right. I, yeah. I, you know what? It could have been so much worse. I, that's oh, what it's I true. Say. Like, I think Infinity War could have been a disaster. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's so much uh, there's so many other things going on with the movie that make up for the deficiencies of things like we're talking about. Um, yeah. And so I would say like the way to handle Thanos might be like you said, might it be a home run, but so that might be like a line drive, like. Yeah. You know, they, I don't know, but okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they got on base, you know, um, they probably even made it to like second or third. Um, but, um, um, yeah, I, um, speaking of just really quick of an ambiguity, there's, uh, the Russos apparently they posted a photo on, on social media that says, look closely. And it's like Andy Russo typing on a computer and everybody's making this huge deal that it's like a hint of the reveal of the, of the title of the new Avengers movie. That's funny. And it's interesting because the way the, 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 the photo is, is framed, like I took it as a joke, like he's on a laptop and to like look closely or, like, or look harder. That's what he says. Look harder. Um, I thought it was sort of a joke of like squint and you can see the title like on his laptop. But then you look and you see that there's like ladders like strategically placed in such a way they look like the letter A and there's shadows look like the letter E. So people have been making a whole big deal out of, out <laughs> of it. Um, it's been funny to watch on, on social media and people have been having a good time. Um, having a good time with it, but um, anyway, so yep, sounds good. Great. All right. Well, Father Chuck, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome so much, and it's going to be interesting to listen to this episode where we go from like one audio quality to the next. Yeah, sorry about that, folks. That's all right. Uh-huh. Technology. Okay. Well, everybody, have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening, and good journey. Good journey.